0: We are getting to the bottom of why it is so important for your organization to be top of mind to your stakeholders and how to do it. This is using the whole whale stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. For fans of the podcast, you'll notice a reoccurring theme. We really believe in creating valuable content for your stakeholders, for your audience, so that the continuous engagement leads to increased impact, increased involvement. And we are really lucky to have John Hall, the CEO of Influence & Co., as well as the author of Top of Mind, a book uh, that talks about using content to unleash your influence and engage those who matter to you. Uh, We have him on the podcast talking about his strategies and his approach to the creation of content in order to build familiarity to the people that matter, to make sure your organization grows in the right way. He's going to share a lot of tips and approaches, so uh, I'm very excited. We'll jump right into it. I'm here with John Hall, the CEO and founder of Influence & Co., and also the author of a book I just read called Top of Mind, Use Content to Unleash Your Influence. John, thanks for joining us, man. How's it going?
1: It's going well. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, moving into this right away, uh, it seems clear that you top of minded me. I was reading a book, you reached out. (laughs) Uh, Can you talk a little bit about why you wrote this book?
1: Really, it's it's um, just been one of the more beneficial things that's happened to me personally and professionally is that I've kind of embraced this mindset of uh, engaging people in different ways so that you stay on top of their mind at the right moment. And and uh, I used to be kind of a believer uh, of the outbound kind of sales. Like I, I tell people, I grew up grew up on door to door sales, and I was always like, you know, if you just keep hustling and working hard um opportunity comes to you, which I, I do I still think is true to this day, but what I kinda learned is that if you um as a whether it's a company or a person or a leader of some sort, if you're engaging um people in different ways, whether it be through one on one conversation in a certain way or through creating uh content at scale, you can get in front of people in and be on their mind just similar to how you just described where you're saying, wow, he, you know, reach out at the right time and I was just thinking about um you know he came to mind when i was looking for podcast guests and so um you know there's a way to uh, to actually make habits and be deliberate about how you're engaging others so that um a ton of opportunity comes your way cuz a lot of people um have you coming to their mind at the right moment which can bring opportunity
0: i like this and i want to push a little bit further in this direction why Why does familiarity and why does reminding people matter so much? And do you believe in this sort of serendipity? So you're saying that I am not some sort of creative genius and I just pulled you from the the appropriate place in my mind, but it was a bit more deliberate than that.
1: I mean, really, um, I mean, memory is, uh, I mean, if you dive into it, it, it's pretty, it's amazing how your brain works and how people stick in your mind there's there's situations like for example there's traumatic situations or uh what i call in in business um moments of vulnerability where there's uh it's like the moment when your boss comes in and says hey i just saw our competitor all over these publications which i read i'm pissed off that's a moment of vulnerability. Let's say you're the head of marketing or strategy or in, in charge of that area. Uh, that sucks. And so in that moment, in that moment of vulnerability, if I come to their their mind as a resource, uh, I, can st- I can stick. Let, let's say, for example, that happened with you and I said, hey – don't worry about this. You know we'll take care of you. We'll get you set up in these publications and these places. Um, and then three weeks later, your boss is like, "Wow, like I can't believe after that happened, these things happen, um, and you were there for them." You stick like, and that's a true story that actually did happen. We ended up getting five to ten referrals from that company when that happened. And so. Um you know in that case that's the a, a very short time period where um and this these referrals have consistently happened over time because we we hit their memory in this way where we're just cemented as a resource in their long term. Now, it's hard to do that because you can't always time moments where people need you the most. So you have to say, okay, well, how can I gain their trust over time so that consistently I'm raising, I, I think in, in the book and especially in my, at least in my keynotes lately, I've been talking about these trust touch points where if you consistently are are hitting people to build trust with them, then um, over time, you don't have to have those moments there. They're going to think of you at the right time because it's it's consistently hitting um, your, uh, you as a stimulus where you're thinking, wow, this is a good company or this is a good person. Um, and the more times that happens, the more in the right moment they'll think of you. And it's not that I'm just saying it because I it's uh, beneficial because I just wrote the book on it. It's more um, it's science. I mean, it's called a process called consolidation when neurons fire at the same time and they fi- they fire enough where it forms that long-term memory uh, and that's where ultimately as a company if you're able to form that long-term memory in a positive way um, it can be 10 years 15 20 years down the road they'll still remember you and and it's a it's a crazy thing um, that it's it's not just something i say or there's a book about it It, it's science and it's really cool when i think you when you know you can kind of combine those science methods to how you're engaging people in a very natural way
0: So you're telling me in like a decade, I'm still going to be like, you know, who's awesome at content, this guy, John, I met him way back. Or can you explain a bit more how consistency (laughs) um, and that, that, that idea of consistency and reminding people play into the strategies that you purport?
1: probably not in this moment I think that we have some trust touch points between each other but I don't think that like you like I haven't been there for you or my company hasn't been there for you in a way that's been really you know helpful um, so I we haven't done you know if you go through the different things in the book um, you know and I don't think you've paid attention to my content for an extremely long time you, you have um, in the short term but um, I, I think that you would you remember I me in a year two three years yeah um, I, I would hope so just um, on how We've engaged with each other, so uh, I don't want to uh, mislead anybody and say, "Okay, if you do some of these things, for sure people are going to remember you for 10, 15, 20 years." No, it, it's it's possible, but I know for certain people. Um, you know, for exa- or, you know, for example, uh, I was uh, just talking to a friend that. Um, was really needed a job and I recommended them and this has nothing to do with content. I know a lot of the books about content but um, they really needed a job. They were being treated poorly so I recommended them. They got the job and it's their dream job. Uh, If that person's there in 10 years, are they going to remember me? Absolutely. I think they will and I think that the the way we have to look at how we're engaging people is that we have to say, okay, the ultimate goal is to build trust with them consistently and get in front of them in a positive way where we content you do it through education Um, and that's why we remember in the book I I describe my professor from high school uh, Mr. Clark who I'll never forget Um, he helped me and educated me in a way that it made me such a better uh, person that he's stuck into my mind in this day. Can I remember some of my other high school professors? No, but I remember him. I mean, he absolutely stands out to me just the way he engaged me. And I think we can do the same with content where, you know, if you can get content consistently in front of someone uh, and help them become better and then it leads to success, they're going to remember you for that and they're going to trust you a lot for it.
0: So let's abstract this to the nonprofit sector and the social impact sector, which obviously has a lot of challenges. You know, they're trying to engage and re-engage donors. They're also trying to figure out how to uh, provide more value for stakeholders around everything from the environment to animal welfare to, you know, cancer research. How do these strategies, when you think about building this type of content and relationship, how do these strategies apply? Do you feel to the nonprofit sector? Do any Case studies or examples pop to mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, like for I mean, for example, uh, nonprofit. This is almost more important than uh, than other industries because there's a big uh, trust is a huge factor in the uh, the nonprofit world. And you can also uh, by telling a story and differentiating um, a mission, uh, you can really connect with people and relate to people. Um, so, for example, like I'll uh, I'll personally um, kind of use an example with me is that I want to help nonprofits. I actually do like I. I, I, I want to, to, you know when I see an opportunity sometimes for friends that have run non, that run nonprofits, I try and mention them and, and advocate for them. Um, but uh, honestly, it's like they, they're so bad at staying on top of my mind. Sometimes I just they just don't come to mind when there's an opportunity. And um, for me, like I, I think most people a lot of, or a lot of people want to help nonprofits like me, but they're just not on my mind as much as they should. So that's why it's so important to stay in front of people, because I think I mean, maybe I'm, I'm obviously being naive here by saying this, but I, I think there's a good in most people that they want to support this industry. And so it's it's up to um, not nonprofits to say, okay, great. Um, we know there's, there's a group of people that we'll probably want to support. Well, we get, need to get in front of them in a way that they're paying attention to what we're doing. They're engaged. And it's not like like, for example, there's one nonprofit that has one big event a year, and then nobody thinks about them the rest of the year. And I'm just like, wow, like, if you actually engage, like, you do a lot of these other things that the people that go to this event aren't aware of, how about you start getting, like, let's just say a newsletter or let's say you do an article a month and then you send it out to a lot of the people that are signed up for your event that have opted in that's going to engage them over time and they're going to say, hey, by the way, next time they talk to their buddy, I'm, I have this event in January that I go to that's a really good event. You should um, you know, go to it. And this could be in August because you've engaged them over time. Um, and so I think that there's just a lot of missed opportunity in the nonprofit space with engaging people consistently so that they're thinking of you that can bring you that benefit of the people that really want to support uh, the messaging and, and the mission.
0: So let me play the role of somebody listening right now. They run a small organization. Let's say it's under, you know, 10 people, under a million dollars. And their first reaction to, wait a minute, you want me writing thoughtful pieces every single month is ain't nobody got time for that, John. Uh, What is the upside? How do you really uh, structure not only the the reasoning behind what I get out of this, but also what am I writing about? You know, it it can be hard. Like I wrote the article about, um, you know cancer research. I've wrote it. I'm done. What do I write next?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's where you need to take into consideration content triggering. And I talk about that in the book where content triggering is something that you have to start. And this is a, a, not just a good, uh, good for what you just described. It's good as a person to content trigger. What I mean, content trigger is that when I am, um, Talking like I just was talking to a um, to a uh, friend earlier, and they were they were having barriers with their writing and their writing team. And he was like, "Well, I mean, how do I get my team to uh, or basically, how do I get my team to create more pieces that are above this level of quality?" And so I said, "Okay, well," and I and I started telling him. And during that time, I go, "You know, I'm telling him and educating him on this." But we need to get content. Like there's not a specific article that I can point them to or or a piece of content. That's a trigger in my mind that I say, okay, I need a piece so I can send it to him because this is a common challenge that people talk about. And so I think that you have to, as a small team, let's say between 1 and 10, um, if you're talking to people that that are your stakeholders or people that you care about, Um, you you have to identify. You have to say, hey, um, these are the challenges they're having. These are when I'm in conversations with them, this is what they bring up. This is what I have to educate them on. This is what I have to talk to them about. You said cancer, um, you know, you wrote an article about cancer research. So what other things related to it's, um, you know, it's not just cancer research. What do you do with testing? There, There might be things with that. There might be what you do after you have cancer. Like there's a variety of things that are around that topic that I'm sure somebody who's Interested in cancer research would be interested in, um, and so looking at it and saying, okay, what are things in you know our wheelhouse that we can you know have information that's uh, either uh, what I call as idea content. I either say it's industry leading, data driven. Educational or amusing. If you can hit on one of those four things, um, you know that which basically spells out idea. Um, if you can hit on one of those things, then it could be very valuable to your audience. And so, if you say, "Hey, I don't have, you know, like I don't have time for this stuff, so I want to be very efficient." What I would do is I would say, okay, well, let's make a goal. Every month I want to um, just do some content triggering, and I want to – it's one of my goals to come up with one or two ideas from – and pay attention to people that that really matter to me in this industry. And I want to listen to things that they want to learn about or things that I have to explain to them a lot. And then I'm going to create one piece of content. Okay, So that creates the the ideation. Then it's okay. How am I going to create the content? Now, one, I, I mean, I we started Influence and Co um, with my wife's best friend, who was has you know was a good writer. Now she runs our content team now, but she was our she basically did a favor for me. I think I paid her thirty bucks to write my first couple articles. Um, and so there's resources out like that. There's Upwork. There's a variety of freelancers um, that can help you you know write um, if you need the help there. Um, we're obviously a service um, to do it as well, but there's, there's other options as well. So then you get past your writing barriers and develop at least you know one way of developing content. Then it's leveraging the content. How do I distribute? So do I have a newsletter? Do I have social channels to share it out? Do we have a, a friend at a publication that could publish this? Do we have a friend that could maybe not buy, me byline it, but maybe I pitch it to a friend who writes in these nonprofits? Um, these are things that it's not rocket science, but if you sit down for an hour and kind of identify identify, um, and set a goal of, let's say one article or one thing a month, and then you keep going from there, you know, now we're doing, I mean, a, a ton of content internally, just our own, uh, ourselves. And so I don't really like, at that point, I'm like, okay, guys, I understand why you're not like us and have these resources to take over the world with content. I, I get that. But at the same time is that you, you can set very minimal, you know, minimal goals to get a start. And if you do that and you, and you, um, you know, do each one of those things, um, uh, as I kind of laid out uh, over time, you start seeing these benefits of, wow, like people are starting to pay attention. This person or this partner reached out and said, hey, I want to pay, you know, I'd love to be involved in this or I love this article. I shared it with the team. Um, and there's these things that happen where you see the ROI, which makes you a little more um, engaged and and happy to invest more in it. And that's why a lot of people we do we've dealt with in the past started very small and now they have very robust content marketing campaigns
0: hmm So you brought up the idea of distribution. What is your response? Because I know there's somebody listening right now who's saying, well, wait a minute, we have our organizational blog. We're talking about stuff constantly. We just wrote last week about how did our, you know, volunteer summit go? We, you know, posted the pictures. Aren't we doing it properly? Uh, what do you say in terms of bringing back the, you know, the idea as you move through that acronym? Is the company blog what you're talking about or are you speaking to something else uh, around delivering searchable discoverable content that people are going to find over time?
1: Well yeah you, you I mean you have to it's not just should you pub- publish on your company blog. Um, the problem with this area is a lot of people just do what's easy and uh, they're checklist people and I, I, I don't I do not like checklist uh, just checklist people I think checklists are amazing to be effective. But a, a checklist can also be really terrible to um, actually getting something done properly. And so like we – I do checklists all the time. I think they're great. But in, it's, you just got to change it a little bit and say, okay, posting on the blog. Do I honestly think that this is what's going to, to get the, the right people there? And that's what a lot of people did initially is that they were like, okay, I'm creating content. put it on the blog. I'm like – and like uh, there's this uh, woman, Sarah. I go, okay, so you've been just publishing on your blog. How are people going to come to your blog? And they're, she's like, well, if I create content, I go. So just to be clear, Sarah, if you create content and somebody goes to your blog, are you just going to think, like, I'm going to go to your blog? Like, how am I going to figure out? They're like, well, if you come to the site, you might click on the blog. I'm like, Sarah, how many times do you go and just immediately go on a site and then immediately go to the blog? And she's like, well, not very often, but sometimes I'm like, okay, so sometimes you, you might get some people. Like after we dove into it, she had no faith that people were actually going to go to that blog. And I was like, why would you then only publish it there? And she's like, well, I, because everybody's saying I should blog. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, but in reality, is that like you that like your blog there is a internal um, and and uh, in, or, or on the, or own media on your site. And what you will need to do is you need to say, okay, if I'm going to put it on the blog here, what am I doing to reach people to to get there? So, do I push on social? Well, do I have a social audience? Um, Well, not really. I have 50 followers on Twitter. Do I expect that, you know, but I still want to post on there. Um, But you have to understand is that, like, I'm going to do these things and be real with yourselves is that, you know, I'm trying to grow an audience, but that's not really what's going to move the needle. Now, keep moving is like, okay. so do I start, um, you know, I have uh, 100 people from this event or 50 people that I can send an email out to and say, hey, I'm going to be developing some content um, about our industry. Please opt in if you want to get a monthly article about it that I'm going to be posting on the blog. Um, you, then you're like, okay, there's a hundred people that—that's um, a start. Um, you could buy—you could buy a list and send an email out and saying, hey, we'd love for you to opt in here and uh, start paying attention to the content. And when they opt in, you can, you know, send them that that monthly uh, article. Uh, you can do paid. You can go to LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter and you can um, do very targeted advertising with. You know, getting people to that blog. Um, There's all these different things. For me, there a lot of simple values are. I put it in my signature line. When you email me and I email back, I have a lot my uh, like my most recent articles there, and it gets clicked on a lot because when people when I'm emailing people one on one, a lot of times. Those are the people that really matter to me, and I when I put it in that email, and I'll even put it sometimes in the body when I'm talking to someone. I'll say, "Wow, um, you know, the, our conversation was great. I, I have a, a really good blog post that I would love for you to." Um, check out and then I'll send it and link to it there and they'll check it out there. Then they share with their friends, they and um, you know, then it goes on from there. So you just have to be very honest and, and deliberate about distribution. It, a lot of times it does start off small. Um, a lot of people who have a lot of influence, I mean, for me, I probably started off with. You know, 50 followers or 50 people paying attention to my content, and over time, or four or five years, it's steadily grown um, where there's thousands and thousands of people listening. But um, that wasn't always, and you have to kind of be dedicated to it, keep it consistent, and those people will, um, you know, pay attention to you over time as long as you are very um, or thoughtful about how you're distributing it and you're actually leveraging that content as you create it.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you're pointing out that key variable of time, because sometimes if we're looking for one hit wonders, if we're looking for the, oh, how come I haven't created a post that just went viral? The strategy that you point out speaks to one that builds over time. You're building this brand, you're building equity, you're building traffic that snowballs. You increase that email list, you increase your ability to own your own distribution, but you have to hustle for it in the beginning. I want to go back, though, to the thoughts about the leader. So you specifically are talking about your own experience of building up your brand by, you know, writing internally and externally, being a speaker, being a thought leader, showing up in those news searches. How do you as a leader then also diversify a little bit? You talk about this in the book. How do you pull out internal other internal champions isn't there some risk that I'm going to have, you know, an, a train an internal rock star and they just leave my organization?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, but if you ha- always have that mindset, uh, that means you just don't ever invest in your employees. And to be honest, you don't deserve to keep them. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things where uh, the, I think the quote that I refer to in the book, uh, and, well, at least in in a lot of my speeches now, I refer to, is the Richard Branson quote, quote about training people. He's like, um, tra- train them well, p- or train your employees well enough so that they can leave, but treat them well enough so that they don't want to. Or something like that, and um, for me, I think that a part of having good employees is you have to invest in them, and you want to invest in their brands because it can create opportunities for you. Now, you also want to uh, align their career path, you know, with your organization um, at the same time. But also, to, I mean, to be honest, is like as long as you treat them well. Like uh, one of the the people that I invested in substantially was one of our VPs. He was our sixth employee. He um, ended up. Leaving in year four, um, we had, he had we had uh, resources on him to, for him to write. Uh, we had set him up with speaking, and he left. And he left to one of our partners. Um, was I sad? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't like losing employees, um, but it actually was great because. We ended up. Uh, he ended up going to a partner and, you know, growing his influence. And he still sends referrals to us this day. He still advocates for us. And to be honest, is that while he was here, he generated uh, well over the value that we had invested in him. Um, and so I, I would say that, you know, if you want to stand out in your industry, you can't have those barriers uh, prevent you from um, investing in the employees around you and to get, um, you know, that thought leadership that that um, that brands. Or the brand of the company up because you know ultimately over time if you create those processes and you keep investing in the people around you they're going to create Substantial opportunities, and that's what we're starting to see with our company. Is that like Matt is um, one of our VPs who, you know, before almost the I would say 70 or 60 percent of the opportunity in the company was coming through me. Now we've got 20 or 30, you know, 20 percent, let's say, coming from Matt. 20 percent, you know, from two other people. 20 percent from our inbound, and so that's why it's important because, like, let's say Matt were to leave, we also have Kurt, we have Mo, we have these other people behind um, him that will step up. And we're we're uh, you know getting them to do things as well, and at the same time, it's like. They're not just sitting at uh, you know at home every day and we're, we're writing content for them, but we're we're making some investment in you know them getting content. Sometimes it's them brain dumping their thoughts and then we're having a writer develop it and publish and get it you know published. Let's say on the blog so that they can use it in their sales um, you know and in their sales uh, funnels and as sales enablement. So I think that ultimately yes, it's something that happens. Um, uh, it, it does happen. People leave, but if you don't. Do these things, you you have no hope of really bringing your company to or organization to the value that it could be, and to create the opportunities, um, you know, inbound towards you. And so, uh, yes, it happens, but it doesn't mean that you create you create a barrier that prevents you from being the organization you truly could be.
0: I love this too because it actually also speaks to how you secure against a founder-led organization. Without, you know, sort of distributing the ability to to lead the lead the company with uh, with content uh, and reputation, when it's just consolidated in one person, that's a single point of failure. And so this is actually more of a, a survival tactic to to, to diversify. Um, I really like that. I want to come back to making this a bit more practical. How do I, as a leader, make the case? for spending increased time on creating content how much time am I asking of my team like what am I getting ready for is this like a you know spend a day of the week writing heads down let's get this done how would you move this forward in an organization that is uh, currently not doing very much
1: well, it just depends on the organization. Like, I mean, I'd have to know the resources. I'd have to know their budget. I'd have to know. Like, I don't like. Uh, I mean, I. Okay. No. No. Budget. Let's make. No. 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 Let's
0: make it specific. All right. Three quarters yeah. of the nonprofits in uh, in the industry uh, are operating between five hundred thousand seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. Requisite staff of that size. They're dealing with probably trying to create awareness around uh, various causes. Uh, you know, we can. Uh, throw you a curveball and say, let's say it's women in comedy, specifically young girls. Uh, How do you now say, all right, you have uh, 10 people, half a million dollars that you're running, and everyone's already busy. How are you now thinking about moving forward? How much time are you going to spend doing this? Okay, and so uh, (laughs) out
1: of, let's say, half a million dollars you're saying in revenue, and then so what, let's say conservatively 10% of that should be marketing, or uh it depends on industry but like uh, let's say uh, so so you're saying these people have uh, 50,000 or less in marketing budgets yeah Okay, cool. Um, for that, like, I mean, I would cl- definitely start out small. Um, obviously, I would not put your marketing budget of fifty thousand dollars towards all of you know content. Uh, a lot of times, people will say, "Oh, if you like do this marketing tactic, you're just gonna win." I- I'm a full for uh, I'm a full believer of integrated marketing, um, so that you're actually you know d- doing different types of marketing and they're all working together. Um, if you think that content marketing is going to change your world um, completely overnight, Tonight, it won't. And that's a problem is that, you know, some people invest all of their budget into, you know, one silo which let's say content marketing. And uh, yeah, you can win. But a lot of times, it you know, it, it just it takes a little more time to pick up. So I would say that for for that sort of, um, you know, budget, I would say uh, starting off small in the way that uh, for example, um, look at, how, look at how the, your organization and the content that's around your organization. Okay, does it screen credibility? Like when people are searching, are there some good articles that they're running into? Is there good content that they're running into? When people, um, do you have one or two really good pieces that you send out, um, to people that, um, uh, let's say a white paper, a solution guide, a sales enablement, something that, uh, or infographic uh, that people can look at that's like, wow, this is awesome. This tells me a lot, you know, about the organization. Um, or this tells me about the industry. Is there educational pieces that are very common that come up, like for example, uh, we had to initially get content around what is thought leadership and what, how does that play into content marketing? Like a lot of people just didn't know what we initially did at first. Um, and so we had to get some very basic educational articles there. That's where I would start off with. Um, You're not in a place it's starting out to say, oh, I well I need to be, you know, like right now I write for Forbes and Inc. and these places. I need to write for the biggest publications in the world. Uh, That's kind of shooting. I mean, obviously the resources and the things that go into doing some things like that, um, you know, take a lot more time and a lot more resources. So I would first identify how am I surrounding myself with content that's credible that has uh, almost a good, strong base and foundation um, and, you know, let's document and get a strategy down on, you know, how we're using that content. Then the next phase is, okay. now that we have this content and we feel good about, you know, when people are interacting with our brand, um, they feel good about the site, our social profiles, things like that. How are we reaching new channels? Like, how are we tapping into other audiences and um, getting content, whether it be people talking about us or people or us, you know, sh- doing articles that are reaching these new audiences? Could be that you you get an article published in the publication. It could be you do an uh, a campaign or a social campaign targeting a specific group to be reading that content. Um, my philosophy, I think, it starts with is that you know, start with what's easy and stuff that's um, in your control That's very important to how people trust your brand. And that's why I started off with that. And then um, that's when you expand it into amplification and trying to get more of a following and more people to view it.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, That sort of, you know, I like the disclaimer. I like you being very transparent about, hey, guess what? Uh, I'm not selling magic bullets here. Uh, However, it is definitely part of a balanced diet. Very helpful. I want to shift. Finally on to metrics. How do I know that this is working? Am I just looking at page views and saying, all right, numbers are going up and to the right? Isn't that nice? How do you think about this?
1: Yeah. I mean absolutely not just page views. Like, I mean my, my number one article on Forbes has gotten I think six hundred or 700,000 page views. I can't even think of any form of ROI metric other than page views that I've gotten out of that. And so, but I do have an, an article there that got a thousand views, and I've we've got probably generated five hundred thousand dollars on it. <laughs> and so, when you look at um, you know the uh, the metrics, it, it comes down to uh, one: what were the goals that you set? So, for example. Um, uh, the, what I just described starting out with, it's hard to say a bunch of ROI metrics because right now or right now, you're just surrounding your company with credibility, which will hopefully help people engage with you more. And so that's more of, in marketing world, we call that conversions, like how we can get people to convert and engage with us in the way we want. And so, um, you know, for example, um, if you start creating that content and you see that um, you, and you're sending it out to people that matter to you, that you want to to deal with the organization, uh, part of the metrics will be, are they doing things that we want them to do more frequently? Is this, is this content helping? Uh, a bank, uh, HSBC, did a study where they looked at and they said, um, hey, for people who just come in and interact with people who meet us um, at these events, they do they spend this much money however if somebody goes to the event and and engages with our content that we've created they spend almost double and so i think you've got to pay attention to is when you do these things what did it truly what did it truly not just do itself but what did it help Content marketing is something that really aids other parts of the business um, and you have to look at it as what are we trying to accomplish. So an example of that would be like some companies, um, investor relations, in the nonprofit world, donors are really important. Are you using that content to engage with your donors and is that in increasing the amount of donations and the um, behavior of the donor? Uh, it, are you doing things where um, you're sending it out to donors and you're saying, hey, send this content out, um, you know, if you if you value it to, you know, other people, hopefully it helps them out. Then you have kind of a, a start of a referral partnership where you can track, okay, did new donors come from this piece of content? Um, and so it's just a lot of times just people just uh, kind of start with, okay, well, I published this article. What came exactly from it? And you've got to look at it as like, okay, what did we use? I would say that most people, if you just do the minimal things, your ROI is about – I would say most commonly break even um or less slightly less but as you leverage it over time those marketing assets and the content becomes extremely valuable to the point where like now we're in a state where um, it, it, by far people who like attracted are attracted to us and engage with us, our cheapest lead source, our cheapest uh, way for people to engage with us is our through our content, and it's one of our biggest ones as well. And so I think that you know it starts off with it just kind of looking at the the metrics on how you're using it, um, the and set expectations correctly where you know you're building over time, um, and then you know as long as you continuously leverage it in different things. Are Across the company, it could be you're looking for a new recruit, so a new director of mark or director of, uh, I don't know, business. Uh, let's say business development person for donors or something like that, or you're looking for just a new, um, you know, account manager for something. Uh, create content and use that content to send to potential hires. Uh, some of our best hires came from pieces of content we developed, and when you look at the value between a hire for me and a sale. A hire is honestly more important to me because uh, the people that um, are within this company are the ones that really make it successful. So I use our content in that as well. And so just make sure you're leveraging it. You're doing your best to track not just quantitative metrics, but qualitative metrics. How is this helping out other parts of the business? Um, And then you're setting expectations and consistently growing because uh, content marketing is just something that doesn't happen overnight.
0: Yeah. All righty. Time to move into our rapid fire, John. Okay. Talk about a mistake that you made in your career that shapes how you do things today.
1: I mean, I would say that probably it's uh, it's just a lot of um, my, in my younger years is how egotistical I was. I would say that like, even if I was trying to do something good, I had an ego reason behind it. And I think that, um, several times when I was younger, I just got caught up, and people would call me out. And I think that the that there's probably some relationships you know five ten years ago that I hurt, and I remember you know I, when I did that. And now it's it's really just made me uh, truly believe that trust and relationships are not just a way to build your business, but it's also a way to just have per- like be happy as a person. So yeah, for me, um, that's probably been one of my bigger lessons. What is coming up
0: in the next year that has you the most excited?
1: Well, the book, uh, the book has been great. I mean, top of mind, it, it just was released in the last couple of months, and so I think for me, it's it's the results from that. It's having people. I'm getting emails, you know, every day or, uh, that are saying, "Hey, this." This helped me in this way. This is, um, you know, I I had somebody from a huge brand just reach out that was like, hey, this is something we're going to send across to everybody in the company. This is, uh, this really, I think that the book surprised them in a way where they thought it was only going to be about content marketing, but in reality, the first like five, six chapters are about building trust and relationships, not just to do with content. And so I think that it's been a pleasant surprise that I'm looking forward to people really, um, you know, the book spreading even more so that hopefully it benefits people.
0: Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business?
1: Can successfully go out of business? Um, I mean, you mean like they they can go out of business and they're happy about it? (laughs) Or can they just go out of business?
0: (laughs) Well, we'll go with the happy direction, John.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that I. I mean, I think that a lot of people can cut a business um, in a in a happy way. Um, sometimes people, you know, you you do your best, you have a good run run at it, and you made a difference. And uh, sometimes that ends up uh, not. I mean it is, it's, business is hard it sometimes doesn't last forever but I mean I think for me the fight is like uh is is creating long term value uh I could have made millions of dollars in in short term wins um uh, more a lot more than I than I've made for the company but in reality is that you, you got to be focused on, you know, what you can do in the long term. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that there's some people that have short term and uh, have wins uh, successfully there and, and they can be proud of it. But I think the ultimate goal is to find something that you can create long term value that lasts. What is
0: something that you think you or your organization should stop doing?
1: Oh, I think we're too nice. I know <laughs> I think that's uh, t- is a weird thing to say, but I think that like. I I think that when you run a business, you you've got to remember that you have to make decisions on what's best for the business. And sometimes I think a little, whether it be with our staff or in partners or whoever it is, we we are too nice. And I think empathy is a great thing, um, but I think it can also do things that overall, you know, if you don't do it in the if you don't respect it in the right way and and uh, embrace it in the right way, uh, it can also be something that creates uh, more challenges.
0: All right, finally, if you had a magical Harry Potter wand and you could wave it across the nonprofit industry, what would it do?
1: I was going to say technology because that was a big issue with, I thought, nonprofit in the past. But I think companies are coming up that are being pretty amazing with helping nonprofits. With uh, technology, I mean, we had a we have a client. I'm trying to uh, think of the name, but um, it, it, like, there's these new resources that are coming up for nonprofits to track donors to at the same time as also track uh, different things about it to increase transparency. So I was just, I mean, I was just going to say is that uh, a, a better technology across it, but I do think that that's improving. So I mean, I guess that's a positive thing.
0: <laughs> awesome, man. Deeply appreciate all of the knowledge that you've been sharing with us today. And my final question is: How do people find you? And how do people help you?
1: Um, I mean, on LinkedIn, you can reach out and say you some you heard me on this podcast. I think the, that you can um, uh, you look at Twitter. It's just uh, tweet John uh, John Hall. Uh, you can also just look at our site, Influence and Co. Um, a lot of content we put out is either from me or people on the team, and so um, yeah, I would I would definitely um, uh, I would definitely say that I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. And uh, for and while I, I was just about I can't believe I forgot it. The company that I was talking about that does technology for nonprofits is called Flux. So I don't know if you guys have heard of Flux, but I I was pretty impressed with the technology behind there. So I would check that out if you have some technology issues. But um, anyway, just reach out if you think I can be helpful uh, or somebody on my team. And uh, we're not too cool for school. We typically try to get back to people within 48 hours. So let us know if we can be helpful and check out the book uh, Top of Mind on uh, Amazon.
0: Well, I appreciate you uh, practicing what you preach and spending some time with us today on the podcast, John. Best of luck in the coming year. Love the book. And again, it's top of mind. Amazon, you know how to use it. Go find it. There were so many pieces here to pick up on. Um, Really great, I think, from an executive mindset. Some takeaways that I have is the reminder that – No one person is an army. No one person should be maybe the sole figurehead of the organization that diversifying the internal rock stars, diversifying the expectation of writing content is important, and that this isn't a sort of overnight success type of strategy. This is a do the right thing in the right way over time, and you will build the type of authority, reputation, as long as you're creating content that delivers value consistently, that's a key word, consistently to the people uh, in your audience. And so ultimately, you know, this is just another one of these ideas that floats out there. Uh, another one of these things that may just sit on the shelf and, and you park because you're like, well, you know, we don't have the time to do that now, but maybe next quarter, but maybe, you know... Kicking the can on ideas like this uh, all but guarantee that you won't execute them. I really encourage you, think about some of the ideas that he was putting out there. Does your organization have some of those baseline pieces of content that explain what you do, why you do it? Some of the core concerns, maybe addresses, guides on helping people get from A to B with regard to the cause and area of focus that you're on. Make sure those pieces are built. Put it on your to-do list because this is the kind of thing that isn't one done. It builds in value over time. And that's what John was explaining both by what he's done and, and how uh, Influence & Co. has worked to build this type of thing with major brands. Uh, bottom line, it works. And I hope you've been inspired to take that first step in creating valuable content for your audience as always, resources are going to be available. Episode number 74 you can find on com slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Take it easy. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. This week's music, as always, gregthomasmusic.org. Thank you, Greg, for your dulcet tunes. They are awesome. And special thanks to our new uh, podcast editor, Megan. You're crushing it. Uh, Megan has joined us for the summer at Whole Whale, and she's doing very well. Thanks, Megan.